Welcome to the podcast service of Sydney's FM 103.2. Available on the web at fm1032.com.au. Last time, we started to look at the theme of God's future judgment of the world. In particular, we saw that the person in the Bible with most to say about hell and judgment was none other than the Messiah, Jesus himself. In some ways, it's a comfort to know that the agent of future judgment is none other than the one who gave his life so that we might be forgiven. But at the same time, it should give us pause to know that the one who will separate the sheep from the goats and tread the winepress of God's wrath is the same one who railed against greed and self-righteousness and who demanded we love God with all our heart and our neighbour as ourselves. And this highlights the next thing I want to say about God's coming judgment. It's something that sounds obvious, but which has implications that are rarely considered. God's judgment is according to deeds. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 2 verse 5, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. This statement is fascinating because it puts the lie to the common misconception that God's punishment of sinners will be applied equally or evenly, as if a Hitler figure will receive the same judgment as, say, a non-Christian humanitarian worker. That is simply not true. Paul, quoting the Old Testament, is adamant that judgment is according to what each has done. This doesn't just mean because of what each has done. It actually means commensurate with or in proportion to what each person has done. And the Apostle emphasises this point by talking about storing up wrath against yourself. The words storing up is actually thesaurizo in Greek. It's a financial term, and it actually means to accumulate. In other words, God's wrath or anger against an individual can be lesser or greater, depending on what each person has done in life. Now, this, of course, does not mean that good deeds can avert God's judgment or win his favour. Um, The Bible is adamant that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 says. My point here is simply that whereas salvation is a complete gift on account of the fact that no one is good enough, judgment is by works on account of the fact that God is just. As Paul says, God will give to each person in proportion to what each has done. Now, lest this sound like a novelty based on the nuances of a single Greek word, let me point you to some clear teaching on God's proportional judgment. And who better to turn to than the future judge himself? Here's Jesus um, comparing the judgment due to the Jewish towns which witnessed his ministry with the judgment due to some famously immoral Gentile towns who didn't know about his ministry. Let me quote Matthew eleven twenty one. 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Or again, here's Jesus comparing the judgment due to sinners who know his teaching with the judgment due to sinners who don't know his teaching. Luke twelve forty seven. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And finally, speaking of the religious teachers of his day, Jesus declared this in Luke 20 verse 46. Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely or literally they will receive greater condemnation. In other words, these teachers of the law would receive greater judgment than those who have not done the kinds of hypocritical things listed here by Jesus. Now, let me repeat what I said earlier. I am not saying that good deeds can ward off God's judgment or win his salvation. I'm simply saying that whereas salvation is a gift because of the fact that no one is good enough, judgment is by works because of the fact that God is just. The point of this observation is to know that God's judgment will not be arbitrary. It will be measured, appropriate, and just. I have no idea how the experience of hell will differ according to what each has done, but I have no doubt that it will. Some will receive many blows, as Jesus said, and others will receive few. The scriptures affirm it. God's justice guarantees it. I want to continue this theme next time, but for now, I want to conclude with some very simple reflections. How seriously do we take God's judgment? Do we find ourselves so influenced by society's distaste for judgment that we ignore it, soften it, or even reject it? If so, I want to challenge us all to allow Jesus' teaching to reshape our views. He is our teacher, remember. Not the Sydney Morning Herald or the Telegraph, not 2BL or Triple J, not the 7.30 report or current affair, not our private preferences, but Jesus. He's the one we need to get our information from.
Secondly, does our mental image of Jesus give due place to his role as the judge of the world? This, I think, is one of the areas of real difference between our perspective and the perspective of the first Christians. They had no problem thinking of Jesus as both humble and glorious, both loving and just, both saviour and the judge. In fact, it was probably precisely because they did think of him as the future judge that they were so overwhelmed by the thought that he, the judge, gave his life for them so they might be forgiven. I think we need to recapture that wonder. We need to approach Jesus as the judge of the world who in a sheer act of grace gave himself for us on the cross for our salvation. And thirdly, the material we've looked at tonight should move us to praise God for his justice. This is a very common biblical theme. The fact that judgment is not arbitrary or capricious, but entirely appropriate and proportionate to each person's deeds, should fill us with awe and thankfulness to God. The evils of the world will be put right, not in a blind act of anger on God's part, but in a measured, proportionate, and entirely just manner. God sees all things. He understands all the factors and will apply his justice accordingly. The longing through the ages that the Almighty would do something about the tyranny, violence, greed, and perversions of human society will be satisfied on the day of judgment as victims and perpetrators experience no more and no less than is their due. It's in this sense that God's proportional justice is a reason for the heavenly chorus in the book of Revelation to praise God for his coming judgment. Revelation 19 verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. We hope you enjoyed this FM 103.2 podcast. To listen to more great audio, visit fm1032.com.au.